Then I'm going with Adam Pellick, who's just played some brilliant, brilliant hockey. Look, googly eyes are crazy, right, man? You can thank me later, Islander fans. I really have come to see all the different things this guy does and just how important he is. I, I think he's just been a great addition there. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 45, as the Islanders proceed to take on the Philadelphia Flyers in the second round of the NHL playoffs. I'm your host, Andrew Gross. Please find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. And like I said, the Islanders are on to the second round after dispatching the Capitals in five games in the first round. And that cost Barry Trotz's successor in Washington, Todd Reardon, his job. So the Capitals will be looking for a new coach uh, after the Islanders I don't want to say easy because nothing is easy in the NHL playoffs. I just will say that the Islanders start to finish were the better team in this series. They certainly deserve to win. They were much better five on five. And I know Alex Ovechkin had four goals and two two goal uh, uh, performances. But for the most part, the Islanders were able to keep the Capitals scoring at bay only three players get goals in the whole series for the capitals uh um Ovechkin Kuznetsov and uh TJ Oshie uh pretty remarkable so as i said the islanders uh dispatch uh, dominant 5 on 5 uh the power play came through with the goal in the uh in the fifth game uh, dominant performance really over the Capitals. But but it's time to look ahead to the Flyers now, and we will do so with a trio of guests on Island Ice. And that would be two of my Newsday teammates who have been helping me cover this series, Neil Best and Colin Stevenson. And we'll also check in with Mike Selsky of the Philadelphia Inquirer, to get a scouting report and some insight on the Flyers going into the series. Kind of an oddly scheduled series um, as a result of the NHL, you know, condensing things and wanting to plow through this. Game one is a 7 p.m. game on Monday, August 24th. And then two days later, you got a 3 p.m. game on Wednesday, August 26th. And that's the first of two sets of back-to-backs in a playoff series. And really, when was the last time you saw that? Um, you got game three on August 27th, Thursday at 7 p.m. And really, uh, no rest for the weary because game four is noon on August 29th on Saturday. So as uh, Flyers GM Chuck Fletcher said, really, uh, it's uh, four games in about five and a half days. And and that's, it, it really is going to be a battle of attrition in this series. And uh, then you go with game five on August 31st, and then game six and seven, September 2nd and 3rd, if necessary. And uh, I certainly do. I picked the Islanders in seven, and I just find this, I, I find both teams have a lot in common, and I think these are going to be a lot of tight 3-2-2-1 games. And, uh, you know, but we'll, we'll see. I, I had the Islanders in seven in the first round, and uh, the Islanders won in five. And, uh, we'll, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. 
going forward in this series. And now to discuss from an Islander's point of view what we might be able to expect, uh, I'd like to bring in, like I said, my two Newsday colleagues, Neil Best and Colin Stevenson. And once again, I am joined by my Team Newsday, Newsday compadres and friends, Colin Stevenson and Neil Best, and they were with us for the uh, the, the five-game win over the Capitals in the first round and the four-game win over the Panthers in the qualifying round, and they'll be here for this uh, seven-game series against the Flyers. And uh, Neil, let me just start with you here. What 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 do you expect out of the Islanders? Uh, you know, here against the Flyers, what did you see against the Capitals that, that makes you think that uh, they can continue this run against the Flyers, if anything? I mean, I've, I've been a skeptic. I did pick them to lose in the first round, but I think what won me over finally is their performance in Game Five. And early on, the the, uh, the Capitals had the better of the play. But just seeing what they did to the poor Capitals in that game, just <laughs> fitting the heck out of them. And, you know, their ability to do that in a key spot like that, they did it to Florida also. You know, really, I bought into this idea that they're a team that is age-wise and experience-wise is right in its prime. You know, they're just built to make a long run, even though they don't have the big OVs, you know, Crosby, Connor McDavid kind of guy. They have really everything you need to make a long run. So I think it finally dawned on me in game five against Washington, like, okay, I got to start taking this seriously. <laughs> All right. Well, Colin, we'll we'll dissect uh, your your prediction in a little bit here. But um, you're a guy who who covered Elaine Vigneault when he was still with the Rangers towards the end. There, when I look at the Flyers, when I look at the Islanders, I see two very very similar teams. What what are you looking at in this series? You know, uh, as as a tipping point. What, what do you think is going to make the real difference one way or another coming up between these two teams? You know what? I, I, I don't know. Actually, it, it, it's funny you mentioned I, I did cover Vigneault the last couple of months of his tenure um, with the Rangers. And this Flyers team doesn't look anything like that Rangers team, I have to tell you. I mean, they, they're much stronger defensively. Um, and they, you know, he's a different guy, I think. I mean, he seems much more... Um, relaxed and at ease than he was in those days of course I guess you know that that was the post letter to the Rangers fans saying that you know announcing their rebuild so I mean maybe maybe he's just in a different place because he's with a team now that's going for it um no I I you know I read your your uh your matchups and uh I learned a lot in that and I, I love how everything came out even uh, <laughs> and, and I, I gotta say like in all these years of doing these playoff matchup type stories, regardless of which newspaper I was writing for, I can't recall one where I, I, I couldn't go one way or the other. I mean, everything, as I analyzed it, except for the defense, which I, right. I gave the edge to the Islanders. Right, I, you gave I, the I edge to the Islanders defense. Everything came up even and, you know, and I second guessed myself and I, I, I slept on it and I went back to it, but I, I've never written a matchup where everything came up even so much. <laughs> it, was, it was the weirdest. It was crazy. I was reading. I'm like, wow, that's even, that's even, that's even. Um, so anyway, yeah, no, I, I, I think that the, the, the thing that um, the tipping point, I think, you know, and again, I agree with with what you wrote in that 
a lot of it's even. I think, you know, the two goalies are playing uh, both excellent. Uh, one happens to be 22, one happens to be 32. But, but either way, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, for what they're doing, uh, it's, it's equivalent. Um, and, and, you know, you might say that Barry Trotz is, uh, has won a Stanley Cup and, and he's got the most uh, wins of anybody and all that kind of stuff. So maybe he's got, but, you know, the other guy's been to the Stanley Cup finals twice and probably should have won it when he was with Vancouver. Absolutely, um, yeah. You know, and uh, and he has a better team now than he did at the end with the Rangers. He has a young goalie as opposed to an old goalie. And, um, you know, he has, you know, the guy that I know the best on that team is Kevin Hayes, right? So, I mean, I covered Kevin Hayes for, for you know, uh, a year and a half, I guess, until he was traded. Uh, and then he resigned. He signed with the Flyers as a free agent. And that guy is, is a, he's, he's probably the, the one guy who can get, that I, that I know it can get hot, you know, and, and for, for long periods of time, he's not hot, but, but when he's hot, he can really carry a team. And so I think that, you know, I mean, here's a second line center that, that legit could be an, an X factor, you know, six, five guy or whatever he is. And, you know, I mean, you'd think he'd be a, you know, drive to the net bull rush kind of guy. He's not that he's more of a slow it up, you know, play on the perimeter um, playmaker kind of guy. And I think, uh, you know, I think a guy like that could be an X factor in a series like this. Um, so that's kind of where I'm going. But, you know, that's not the reason why I picked the Islanders to lose in five. The real reason why I picked the Islanders to lose in five is because, quite frankly, I've already made my bet and I have to lie in it, right? I picked them to lose in five in the first series. And so if I, if I switch now and I pick them to win, right, yeah. let's say they lose. Who's going to get blamed for them losing? Me, right? Because I picked them to lose and they won. And then if I pick them to win and they lose, it's my fault, right? All right. So, so, me, so the safe play for me was to pick me, them to lose again. Let me just, if they lose, then I'm right. And if they don't lose, you know, then I didn't write them not that, not that Colin is overthinking this or anything. <laughs> All right, so let me just clarify this for all the <laughs> Islander fans who are listening to an Islander podcast here. Colin Stevenson is picking the Flyers in five games as a favor to Islander fans. Yes, Because yes. if I get this right, the Islanders now have a better chance of winning the series if Colin goes Flyers. Correct. So Correct. All, all the flack you're taking on social media, this is you're like, bring it on. I'm doing this for you guys. I'm doing this for you guys. All right. I'm doing this for you guys. Absolutely. Because – you know, if I pick the Islanders to win, there is not a chance that they're going to win. It's just not going to happen. So you can thank me later, Islander fans. This is not a uh, this is not a hockey observation, I guess. But it's you know, I, I covered. I was never the beat writer for the mid 2010s Rangers, but I did the whole 2014 and 2015 runs with them. And um, you know, and watching AV, I mean, I think Barry Trotz. Oh, he's a great coach, but he's also really great with the media. I just like his whole, you know, mo. But, you know, watching AV on their Zoom today, you know, he, he still has that coolest guy in the room vibe. <laughs> I mean, he's just so cool. Uh, you know, and, and I just, I mean, you know, he's a good coach too, just like Barry. But but there's something about his his demeanor that's very interesting to me. Yeah. yeah it wasn't that way toward the end, by the way. Well, the he, end, he was getting cranky toward the end. No, I know. But in 2014 and 15, when they were winning, he was kind of having fun and he was a – you know, he was kind of a player's coach, and it was uh, it was all – everybody was happy. <laughs> it was all love, man, in two languages. Yeah. Neil, you just wrote about Simeon Varlamov. Tell me why you think 
he's playing so well and, and what he can really establish. You know, you, you touched upon the fact that these games are being played in the bubble. And, you know, one of the things that Semyon is missing out on here is, you know, not I don't want to say winning over the crowd because, you know, the crowd did chant Varley a lot at the Coliseum. But, you know, you can really endear yourself to a fan base with a successful playoff run. Uh, what, what is Varley missing out on here? Yeah, no, you know, I didn't actually, now that I think about it, I didn't mention this in the column maybe so I wouldn't always seem like an old guy talking about the old days. But I do think about, like, Chico Resch in 1975 and then obviously Billy Smith later and all these goalies who kind of became folk heroes because of what they did in the playoffs. And, yeah, he's assuming they go further, he's missing out on that. But, you know, it does seem to suit his personality. He seems like, I mean, I don't know what he's like when he's speaking Russian to his buddies. But with us, you know, his English is pretty good. I mean, much better than my Russian. But, you know, he seems like a very sort of calm guy who takes it as it comes. And, and that's basically what I like about his style of goaltending. He doesn't see – he seems very unflappable. He doesn't have wasted movement. You know, that's, that's what you want, generally speaking. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's – I like his style. And, obviously, the results have been great. The Islanders really, and we've been whittling this down. When we started the qualifying series, I, I had three lineup questions. Who was going to be the goalie? Who was going to play on Pajot's line? And, you know, uh, who, who? I think it was who was going to be in on defense. And now, you know, you go into the Capitals round and you know who the goalie is, but, you know, you're still wondering whether they're going to stick with Leo Komarov on Pajot's line and, you know, are they going to stick with Andy Green over Johnny Boychuk? And now as we enter the Flyers series, really the only question I'm asking, and they had Ross Johnson on the Zoom interviews on Sunday. They had Derek Broussard, who was a healthy scratch in uh, game five against the Capitals on Saturday. Um, Cal Clutterbuck, by all accounts, is, is coming back at some point. Um, the only lineup question to me is, you know, who is the 12th forward or who are – the 11th and 12th forwards. Uh, any thoughts? I think it's going to end up being Ross Johnston, at least for game one. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would think that they wouldn't have put him on the Zoom call on Sunday, the day before game one, if he wasn't going to be in the lineup. But, you know, it, I, it, it, it could, yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be. But I, I, I do think it's, in effect, it's a divisional game, right? So it's one of those things where, um, you probably do want a bigger, heavier guy to play, to help you better play the style that, you know, that, that you were able to do in the third period that game five against Washington. And I think, I think also it's, you know, you won that game. So why would you make a change? All right. You'll make a change if, if Clutterbuck can play, um, uh, which I, I, I assume he'll play. So, I mean, that, that's the one change you'll make, but why would you make another change? It just, you know, I don't, I don't see him doing that. He went five games in a row without making a change when the Islanders were winning in the first, uh, whatever, the first five games of the or first, first four games of the, of the um, cap series. So I don't, I don't see him making a change other than putting Clutterbuck in if he's healthy. I, don't, I, I think that's probably right. Although if it was my vote, which I don't get a vote, I, I don't think I got to check with Trotz. But, you know, Lou would give me a vote, but um, Lou I, I, I would. I, Lou I, likes you a lot. I think, yeah, I know. Lou would definitely allow me to set the lineup. Um, uh, I would go with Broussard over just because I just want the skill out there and, and uh, you know, which is what you get with Broussard. But I think you're right. That's not what he's going to do. So. No, I, I, you know, and, and listen, not like I don't agree with you. I agree with you. I'd rather have Broussard um, because the way I look at it is 
who the heck is Pajot playing with? If, yeah. you know, Waterbuck comes back and all right, that line goes back together. So Komarov goes back up with Pajot and then your other winger is Ross Johnston? Uh, I don't know if yeah, I like you that. Know, I, I got to give Ross some love here. Ross <laughs> is a big man. He's a really big man. And when you stand next to him in the dressing room, you – your first thought is always, hey, this is a big man. Sort of like <laughs> sort of like Woody Allen looked at the chicken and sleeper and said, now that's a big chicken, you know? <laughs> but, wow, so, so I avoided the 1975 Islanders reference, but yeah, he goes from 1973, you know, 1973. <laughs> okay, that's right. All right. So anyway, so bringing it back to the 21st century here, my, my point is Ross Johnson is a big man, and he skates – He's really worked on his skating. He, he skates very, pretty good for a guy that size. His hands have always impressed me, especially in tight around the net. Um, he seems to, you know, for a big guy, he's got soft hands, except when he's punching some guy, when he has heavy <laughs> hands. Um, and I thought, you know, for the, for the time on ice, both him and Michael Dalcol had, in game five against the Caps, I thought they were both really strong on the puck. And they actually, in a way, did compliment, um, you know, not compliment, that's compliment, C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T. I, I don't mean they're skating up in the down the ice complimenting J.G. Pajot. Very nice skating stride, sir. <laughs> but say, say it in French, please. <laughs> But my point was, it, it did not seem incredibly out of line. Although I agree with your point that if now Leo Komarov is back on that line as well, I agree that I, I think you, you put Derek Broussard back. But I also agree that I, I, I think we're going to see Ross Johnson in for game one. Yeah, no, I, I think we're all agreed on that. What did you think overall? You know, the Pajot line is the only line that really – isn't settled when everyone is healthy. And, and I thought Pajot had a really effective series. What, how do you see him going forward as, you know, and we've talked about this, both him and Andy Green, just, you know, uh, Barry Trotz says it's like they have new lives now in, in this bubble uh, after the restart, after going through a training camp. But uh, what, what do you see for Pajot coming up here? You know, when when they first signed him, you know, I'm not, I don't know as much about hockey as you guys do because I don't cover it all year round like you guys do. And I'd seem like it was some sort of unexciting signing. And then the first few games, well, his first game was sort of eventful. But, you know, it just didn't, like, move me. But, you know, he's the kind of guy you really need to see play every day right. to appreciate the stuff he does. And now that I'm watching every Islanders game because it's the playoffs – I really have come to see all the different things this guy does and just how important he is. I, I think he's just been a great addition there. I think he's the kind of guy that uh, every coach loves to have because he can, he can give you a little bit, uh, many different things and play anywhere in your lineup. I mean, if you wanted him to play on the wing on the first line, he could do it. If you want to be the center on the third line, he could do it. Um, toward the end of the game, you know, when you want to throw that, that, you know, Sezikis line out there. I mean, you, you, you throw him out there with, you know, in Matty Martin's spot and, and he, he doesn't look out of place. I mean, my, my concern for a guy like that is, and it's, it's great to have a, a utility player like that who you can plug into any different role and ask him to do all these things. But for his own offense, right, I mean, he scored in game, uh, what was it, game four, I guess. He had the, 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 you know, the first goal 
um, here's a guy who's a, a good player and good players should play with other good players. And, you know, with all due respect to, you know, Uncle Leo and Ross Johnston, you know, who I know you like, he's a big man. I get it. He's 6'5 and 235, but three goals and, and four points in 32 games. I'd like to see Pajot play with somebody that's, that's capable of uh, producing a little bit more because I think you get more out of Pajot. And, and Colin, you also, uh, for, for, for Monday, you wrote a little bit about Andy Green. And Andy Green, as I mentioned, is sort of in the same category as Pajot, although he doesn't have the long-term contract. But here's a guy that, you know, and, and just living in the bubble now, you know, Barry Trotz has come to appreciate. And you can hear it when Barry Trotz talks about Andy Green, uh, the appreciation for his game that maybe wasn't there before. But, you know... To, to keep a guy like Johnny Boychuk out of the Islanders lineup, I, I, I think says a lot about Andy Green. Absolutely. I mean, it, again, it goes, it goes back to what Neil just said about Pajot. He's the kind of guy that it's an unsexy acquisition when, when you get him. And yes, you know, Pellick was out. You needed a guy. Here's a perfect guy. He's a, a rental. He's going to be a free agent. I mean, he's got a lot of experience. You get him. But now the pillock is available, you know, um, you're looking at Andy Green, he's, you know, he's not big and, you know, he's got, he doesn't have the big shot and, you know, and he's just a, an unsexy sort of, uh, you know, option. But the more you kind of watch him, you know, then you begin to realize that the things that he does and, and how smart he is and, and how, uh, you know, how effective he is at, at, uh, at just playing the game. And, and let's face it, I mean, he's, he's getting the least ice time of any defenseman, right? I mean, he doesn't play on the power play, but he's on the first penalty kill. So, um, you know, he is, a, he is a very useful guy. And, and again, if it's, you know, if you're winning, you know, then why change? So, I mean, I, I get it. And, and, and the other thing is, you know, and, and the, the crux of the story that I wrote Sunday for Monday is the fact that it's, it's their death that is, a, you know, that is, that is a, a strength for them right now. And, uh, the theory is, and if if they do go deep, right? If my prediction is wrong and they do get past this round and they go another round, let's say, and and, and however long beyond that, um, the longer you go, the more rounds you go, is the is the more your depth is going to come into play. So um, I wouldn't assume that we've seen the end of Johnny, the last of Johnny Boychuk. I mean, he may very well be back in, and if things go go bad I mean you know there's other injuries that could happen or you know maybe Barry will just want to change they lose a couple games in a row he wants to change it up you know we, we may see Johnny Boychuk again before this uh, this postseason's over my favorite, were... thing, my favorite thing about Andy Green because I think of everything selfishly as a reporter is you can ask him it's like today I'm like oh I'm writing about goalies oh he played with Marty Bredore I'll ask him about that. <laughs> like like you know you can ask he's done he's, he knows everybody he's done everything it's like Hey, Andy, what about, you know, as a guy who's done blah, 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 then you're asking the question, you know, as a guy who's been here since the dawn of time, what do you say about this? You know, so, <laughs> I like having him around for our, our limited media availability these days. You can touch on a lot of things with him. You know, uh, I, I was going to try and transition off of uh, something Colin said. You, you said that, you know, Andy Green is not pay, playing on the power play, um, but he is on the first penalty kill, but his minutes are down. And I think that speaks to the discipline that the, the Islanders played with against the Capitals, where it was the Capitals who, you know, through the regular season, they were taking minors at, a, at an alarming rate, and they continued that through that playoff series. They did. You know, where, where the Islanders were, were on the power play so much. 
for either one of you, you know, so much the, the special teams and, and power plays just got dissected because sometimes they're easy numbers to dissect. You know, at one point, the Islanders were one for 19 on the power play in that series uh, before going one for three in, in game five. And you look at a one for 19 and you don't have to think about it too much. That's just not good. Um, but then you, you talk to Barry Trotz and you talk to the players and they keep saying, you can look at the 0 for 5s in game three and game four, but you compare them. And in game three, there were six shots on the five power plays. And in game four, there were 12 shots on the five power plays. And then they go one for three. They, they actually, Beauvillier scores a power play goal. Are you buying into the Islanders' power play is coming around and, and can be uh, impactful against the Flyers here? Well, you know, you're, well, first of all, it almost goes back to what I said about Andy Green. I mean, the, the, when you have a short-term, uh, short-term numbers from special teams, yeah, they're a crutch for reporters, and they have been since forever since I think my first playoff series was Rangers-Flyers. Did the Rangers and Flyers play in 87 before or after the Islanders and Flyers? Anyway, this is my 33rd year of hockey playoffs. In 1987, I was so drunk at Syracuse the whole year. No, I was covering, the, I think it was Rangers Flyers. Anyway, the, yeah, that if you're talking about power play numbers over the course of, you know, game 62 of the regular season, I think that's a legitimate body of evidence. But in a short series, yeah, I mean, it's an issue. It's something we should talk about. It's something they should talk about. But it can be very misleading. So I I, I would not be shocked at all if their power play looked fine in this series. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little curious. But, you know, as I, I, I've mentioned on this pod before, um, I do happen to live with a with a, an Islander fan in the house, and he actually uh, keeps me well informed on a lot of stuff. And he's pointed out, you know, like we got a kick out of it. Like that second unit is all lefties, right? Yeah. Um, and, and the first unit is more or less, it's, it's mostly righties. I think the one lefty is, uh, in front of the net. Right. So it's like, it's, you know, you wonder why you wouldn't like mix some of that up and have lefty, righty, lefty, righty kind of thing. Uh, and if that's an option, um, for him to do at some point, I mean, so there's, there's stuff that you can do if you need to, but I think Barry's point to me, uh, to my question one day last week, and, and I think he made it again yesterday, Andrew, is that it, the numbers, the bottom line numbers don't really matter if you're getting them when you really need them, right? So if you're, if you're a two for 22 in a, in a five-game series, but the two that you get are huge goals, then, you know, it doesn't really matter. I want to start wrapping it up with this, and I will, I believe I started with Colin on this question last week, so I'll start with Neil, and if you take Varlamov out of the mix, which player are you looking at most in this series against the Flyers? Did I get that right? I started with Colin last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, you started with me last year. Last yeah, because week. he yep. took Barzell last week, and then... <laughs> I mean, you took, you took Pajot, both of which are better answers than me saying Broussard. So, so, so just, because, just out of spite, I'm taking Barzell this time because, you know, it goes back to what we said about this balanced team. They don't have Connor McDavid, you know. But, you know, in a situation like this, you would like to have that 
that star type player emerge in a key spot. And Barzell is the guy who has that ability for them. Um, if you avoid the usual, you know, avoids bad penalties and skating around too much and whatever his downsides are, he's got a massive upside as we saw in game three. So I am taking Barzell this series and Colin can, <laughs> Colin can have him, Colin can have him for the conference finals. All right. So Colin, we got, Varlamov is uh, he's off the a, table, right? Off the table, you can't bet on Varley. Neil's taking Barzell. Who you got in this series? I, I would take a defenseman. I, I'm, I'm gonna go with Pelek. How about that? Um, oh, you took my choice. Oh, is that right? Oh, uh, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, I was gonna take Pajot, but you know, but I, I thought I would, I thought I would leave him for you. Um, no, Pelek, I think you know, he didn't get enough love for us uh, from us last week. I think you know, he's a guy who. You know, he's a rock back there. And, um, you know, you see what a difference he's made in the team since, you know, he's been able to play in, the, in this postseason, um, you know, both at the, uh, you know, at the, at the back end and his own end. And, and also, you know, making that, that pass, that, you know, that set up the goal. And, um, you know, I, I just think that, that that's a guy that is going to get a ton of ice. Uh, he's going to be on, on the ice, you know, when the games are going to be won. Put it this way, he's a guy that can help you win a game without like doing something exceptional on the score sheet you know what i mean like he can just play the game uh play the game the right way make a little play and and that'll help you win so i'll, I'll go with pelic and you know i'll leave the whole rest of the roster to you and and they're honestly you know as i'm going through this i i, I have a ton of candidates i'm thinking you know casey Sezikis because the flyers fourth line you know uh with nate thompson on that is pretty good you know, it can match the Islanders' fourth line. So I'm thinking Casey Sezikis and his guys are going to, you know, have to have a good series. And then I'm thinking, you know, Brock Nelson, um, because the Flyers' top two centers uh, are both such good two-way centers, Sean Couturier and Kevin Hayes. And, and I think Brock Nelson and his line played so well, you know, through – through, through that previous series, and really since the postseason. And Brock Nelson is going to be called upon in some big defensive situations. But as I'm thinking about it, I'm going to take the combination of Ryan Pulak, Devon Tays, and Nick Letty. And Wait a I, second. Wait a minute. This is three guys. No, I'm taking the three guys. Because they five guys already. No, no, I, I'm taking the three defensemen because the power play is going to have to be good uh, in this series. Oh, and I, you know, man. Or the defenseman. And Nick Letty scored a, a power play goal, I believe, or he was good on the power play. I'm looking at those three defensemen to really spark the power play in this series. And that's who I've got. And it's, you know, it's my name on the podcast, so I can take three of them. So It's cheating. Yeah. Do I have time to say one more thing about A.V. and Kevin Hayes? Yeah. I'll be quick. I, I was on a Rangers road trip once. Uh, this is, you know, whatever, four or five years ago in Nashville, and they had an off-day practice, and A.V. had one of the most vicious verbal attacks on a player, on one of his own players I've ever seen, because Kevin Hayes, Kevin Hayes was just not getting it, and he ripped them. I was like, it was stunning. And Kevin Hayes was like, looked stunned when we went to him in the locker room. And it's, it's just interesting to me to see how he, what a good player he's become and that he's now playing for A.V. on another team. <laughs> and, he won, and he really wanted to go to Philly, you know, and A.V. was a part, I believe. So Yes, absolutely and, was. 
And I believe I was in Nashville with you on that trip because we were at different papers at that point. So, uh, hey, hey, before we go, before you go, yeah, can we at least talk about this Trotz Reardon thing? <laughs> what is up with that, Neil? What was that? Like Trotz's response to Reardon getting fired was so emotional, and he just was <laughs> devastated by it. No, well, it was it was about as warm as the handshake they shared afterwards and look without talking out of school if you were covering the nhl in the 2017 2018 season no matter what team you were covering at that point you knew it was barry trotz's last year in washington that's what all the chatter was about that they wanted to put todd reardon in barry trotz's place and he coached pretty much that whole season knowing that so I don't think any of this is a, is a real shock. Yeah, but it's not. I mean, if, if that's what it is, then the beef shouldn't be between Trotz and Reardon. It would be between Trotz and whoever the general manager is and, or the president or whoever, right? Because, I mean, Reardon didn't hire himself, right? Somebody, somebody hired him. So the only thing I, I'm thinking, I'm wondering if, you know, maybe Trotz heard some whispers from people that are still in the organization that, that, that you know, this guy was doing this, that, and the other thing. Who knows? I don't know. But it was just, it was wacky, man. I was like, you know, Barry, what do you think about this Reardon guy? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, that's the way well, it goes. We sign I, off. Like I said, I don't think there was any surprise there. I just want to finish with this, Colin. We know your pick. We know you're, you're, you're taking the bullet for the Islander fans. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can thank me later. Yeah, I, I took the Islanders in seven. Neil, what you got? I got the Islanders in six. I'm a believer now. <laughs> well, you know, you know, if they lose, Neil. It's my yeah. fault. I know. I know it's my fault. All right. Well, hopefully uh, the three of us uh, have a few more of these pods in the future here as the Islanders go forward. Always fun chatting with you two gentlemen. Thank you so much. And, uh, I will be talking to you very shortly as uh, we cover uh, cover game one and and basically you know back to back to back to back in game seven. <laughs> They're going to play uh, seven games in about three and a half days here. <laughs> well, you know what? Bring it on. You know, we'd rather play in the practice, right? And from the Islanders' point of view, we'd like to. Uh, I'd like to now bring in, uh, like I said, uh, Mike Selsky of the Philadelphia Inquirer, who I, I just love his takes on everything. Uh, he, he's a great follow uh, on Twitter if if you're so inclined, and you can find him at Mike Selsky. Writes uh, amazing columns across all different sports, but uh, I, I do love his work on the Flyers. And here, kind of to give you a scouting report on the Flyers, is Mike Selsky of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Really thrilled to be joined by Philadelphia Inquirer columnist Mike Selsky, a, a very intelligent and a very witty columnist and a guy who... More often than not, when I read what he wrote I, or what he tweets, I go, you know what? I wish I had thought of that. So, uh, Mike, thrilled to have you on. Thank you so much. How is everything? First of all, Andrew, thank you very much. I, you have already shown more appreciation for my tweets and my coverage than most Flyers fans do. So I, <laughs> I'm grateful for that. Um, we should let your listeners know that, uh, you know, we did work together. Or we're colleagues for a while on the Rangers yeah. beat back in the – 2011, 2012, 2013 yep. realm, the, 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 the halcyon days of John Tortorella. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm just I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm honestly I'm excited about this this series between the Flyers and the Islanders. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think they're two very evenly matched teams, and I guess I want to start with two things that stand out to me about the Flyers and why they may be so different this year. And one one is Elaine Vigneault, you know, a guy I know from covering the Rangers, and he seems to have done this season what he does when he takes over programs, you know, a, a real buy-in. And then also, um, and, and I want to start with this, because I saw you just wrote a column uh, about it, but Carter Hart, a 22-year-old goalie, the Flyers have been searching for a number one goalie since, I mean, it's been what, the late 1980s, early 1990s? Ron Hextall in 1987, man. Yeah, right. So just – how big a difference is it, you know, to the franchise to, to have this, uh, you know, I don't want to call him a kid, he's 22, but, you know, in terms of goalies who tend to develop, you know, a little bit later than other NHL players, he really is a kid. Yeah, he, he has made such a difference that it's, it's kind of hard to quantify in a way. Um, you know, as you mentioned, the Flyers history with goaltending is fraught with might have beens and should have beens and, you know, weirdos and guys who they thought were going to be good guys who came out of nowhere. They just could never solve this position after Ron Hextall won the Conn Smythe trophy back in 1987. And they, they took the Oilers to seven games in that final. Um, so the thing about Hart that's interesting is, as you said, he's 22 and he had been anticipated, so to speak for a while with the, with the flyers and their fans, you know, there was this sense of like, well, he's, he, we've got him in the system. He was, he had been a second round pick and, and he's on the come, he's going to be here. And there was a lot of impatience around him, which is kind of ironic when you think about it, because he only played something like 17 games in the American hockey league. Um, But there was this perception that because Ron Hextall as the GM was taking his good sweet time and rebuilding the team that he was holding Hart back in some regard. Um, but finally, Hart came up last year after Hextall had been fired and after Chuck Fletcher, the new GM, kind of exhausted all the other options. And his presence has just solidified everything. I mean, the Flyers missed the playoffs last season. They played eight goaltenders at one time or another during the season. I mean, they went through goalies like, you know, a guy with a cold goes through tissues. And, um, it, you know, they just they were awful at the position. Finally, Hart came in, and he was a rookie, and he struggled at times. But this season has been, has been pretty different. And, um, you know, it just – you can see the difference. It just settles everything down back there to have a competent netminder, let alone somebody who's this good at age 22. And, you know, you mentioned what I wrote about him the other day, which is to say that he was very good against the Canadians in the first round with a couple of exceptions. He got pulled in game two because the Canadians really poured it on the Flyers. Flyers didn't show up. And then uh, he almost got pulled in game five, um, but a goal got overturned and Vigneault decided to keep him in there. Um, But, you know, I I just wanted to caution Flyers fans because there is this sense in in the city and in the uh, among the fan base that, oh, well, we've got Carter Hart and everything's going to be wonderful. Well, you know, back in 2008, the Canadians had Carey Price when he was 20 and they thought everything was going to be wonderful, too. And they played the Flyers that year in the. Uh, Eastern Conference semifinals, and Carey Price kind of fell apart as a 20-year-old. Um, and the Flyers beat them in five games, and that was that. So, you know, the point of what I wrote the other day was just to say, hey, look, you know, don't take for granted that you have a 22-year-old in his second year playing this well, because there's, you know, there's nothing predictable about the NHL playoffs, and who knows what's going to happen against the Islanders. 
You know, I think I, I was listening to Chuck Fletcher, the, the Flyers GM, talk the other day, and I believe he made the point that one thing Carter Hart has done for all the players is Carter Hart is so good at kind of, you know, bouncing back, you know, a bad goal or, you know, AV pulls them. There's, there's no lingering effect of that. You know, Carter Hart is, is very resilient in that way. And, and Chuck was saying that the rest of the players have really, you know, they sense that and they, they feed off of that. And as a result, the whole Flyers team has become more resilient. Yeah, and I think that's true to a degree. Um, you know, the, the position, the, the people who have played that position for the Flyers in the last three decades, um, with certain exceptions, have been so squirrely at times that, I mean, you're talking about guys like Ilya Brzgalov, Steve Mason, um, Roman Shekmanik, you know, guys who, if if the temperature in the building was off a little bit, you know, it, it just, it created problems. And Hart is definitely not like that. He, to give you an idea of what he's like, I mean, he's kind of been groomed for this. He's had the same sports psychologist since he was, before he was a teenager. Um, you know, so he's, he's a kid who is mature for his age, is very mentally in tune with who he is and, and what he needs to do to kind of get back on track. So, um, yeah, he's been a big reason why they made this kind of quantum leap from last season to this season. Just having stability and any kind of measure of excellence and goal has, has really helped the Flyers a lot, and Hart is, really has been excellent. And, and the other thing, and, and as I mentioned, I saw this, you know, up close and personal with AV with the Rangers in 2014, you know, when he comes in 2013-14, and the, the Rangers are in the cup final that first season with AV behind the bench. And, you know, I, I know the way AV works. He, he puts great faith in the leadership in the room. He, he kind of stays apart from it. You know, he, he's more of a CEO at times, but his leadership style, the players, you know, at least at the beginning, they really seem to like it. What, what have you seen? And, and, and I know from, I think it was what, from January 8th on the flyers were something like what, 19, six and two, something yeah. along those lines. What is it about AV system that's really taken root here? Well, what's interesting about it is, is your use of the word system. Um, I did an interview a, a few weeks ago with Ian LaPerriere, who's been a longtime assistant coach uh, for the Flyers. You know, he was an assistant under Dave Hackstall um, mm -hmm. and Scott Gordon, who preceded Vigneault. And one of the things he said was, the system is exactly the same system we were playing under Dave Hackstall. It's, okay. it's virtually the same. The difference with Vigneault is a matter of credibility. You know, Dave Hackstall, first of all, came in at a different time with respect to the franchise, didn't have the talent. The, the talent they had had not matured to the point that it's at now. Um, but Hackstall had been a longtime college coach. He had no NHL experience. So, and, and he was less inclined to, to push players in the way, particularly the leadership group, to the degree that AV has. Um, Vigneault had a measure of credibility having taken the Rangers, you know, in 2014 and the Canucks in 2011 to the Stanley Cup final, being, what, 10th all-time in wins, you know, having done it year after year after year, just his presence put the leadership group, the veteran guys in the locker room on notice. Like, hey, this coach has credibility. And when the team got off to a slow start this season, within the first week or two, Vigneault was publicly calling out Jake Voracek, James Van Riemsdyk and Claude Giroux saying, I need more from these guys. And these were guys who Dave Hackstall, for whatever reason, probably because as a matter of question, his, him questioning his own credibility 
and wondering what he needed to do to kind of, to kind of keep the locker room together and, and buying into him wouldn't do that. He, he just wouldn't. Um, so that's been a big difference. And, and, and you're right. You know, it's, it's interesting to me. I had this perception of Vigneault because I had covered Tortorella in New York, but I didn't cover AV. Mm-hmm. So I remember torts and I remember thinking, you know, oh, Vigneault, you know, is being described as a player's coach, right? You know, he's, he's a little more lax, gives his guys a little more freedom. Well, I, I think what happened, what colored my perception was going from Tortorella to Vigneault, that in the aftermath of torts, anybody's going to seem like a player's coach, <laughs> you know? So, you know, he, he doesn't let things go loosey-goosey, you know, not, not relative to what had come before him. And I think that has really helped things with the Flyers. You know, one statement that Chuck Fletcher made that really stood out to me that speaks to what AV has done is Chuck Fletcher said, we have an identity. And that's not something, you know, Chuck was saying that they had before under Hackstall. And um, it it sounds similar to to what we are seeing with the Islanders right now. You know, Lou Lou Lamorello comes in and then Barry Trotz, who has that pedigree, you know, and that, you know, and that gravitas amongst the players and all of a sudden bang the islanders have an identity as well um to me that really stood out and, and it didn't i guess it didn't reflect well on uh, on the previous regime and, but it also did speak to uh you know what you're talking about av bringing in yeah i i think you know that's a good parallel between Vigneault and trots in that there's no catch-up that they have to do they don't have to learn on the job they've done this they've They've been at the pinnacle of their profession. Their teams have, you know, in Trotz's case, climbed the mountain, you know, and, and in Trotz's case, climbed it in just about the most pressurized situation you can imagine for a franchise. I mean, the Capitals, you know this as well as anybody, because they play the Rangers and the Islanders every year in the playoffs. <laughs> they were knocking on the door every year. Every year was, was the year they were supposed to win it, and they could never get over that hump. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then they finally did, and Trotz was the guy who guided them there. Um, and Vigneault obviously did what he did with the Rangers and the Canucks. So, um, you know, that was the big change. There was no learning on the job with Vigneault. It was, hey, guys, I've done this before. You know, you're going to listen to what I say because I'm the one with the credibility in the room. I'm the one with the track record. It's none of you guys. You know, you guys haven't won a playoff series since 2012. Um, so you better listen to me. Otherwise, you know, you can sit on, you can take a seat on the bench. And you've seen that in these playoffs. Like, yeah. James Van Riemsdyk signed a five-year, $35 million contract with the team in the summer of 2018. Vigneault has sat him three times in the nine playoff games that the Flyers have played, including two games in that Canadian series. So um, that speaks to, you know, the power that he has and his willingness to wield it and the players' willingness to follow him. You know, that, that, that brings me to a point I was going to ask you. You know, as I look through the Flyers' lines, you see Claude Giroux on a third line. You see James Van Riemsdyk on a third or fourth line. And I'm wondering how much of that is reflective of where those guys are and and how much of it is AV trying to balance out the lineup maybe a little bit. And, and you know, I know Barry Trotz always talks about the importance of rolling four lines. I've heard AV talk about that as well. Uh, is there any part to that, or is this just where those guys are right now? It, it's a little bit of both. You know, he had had Giroux, take Giroux. He had had him, you know, on one of the top two lines all season. You know, Claude is still that caliber of player for the Flyers. 
Um, and he dropped him down to try to kind of shake things up and get more out of him, kind of let him know, like, look, I expect more out of you. If you're not going to produce, I'm going to drop you to the third line. Um, but the other aspect to that, and you put your finger on it, is that the Flyers are deeper now, both from having made some pretty astute acquisitions, you know, Fletcher having made some pretty astute acquisitions, um, you know, the signing of Kevin Hayes in the offseason. I was a little skeptical of it because of the money he got, seven years, 50 million. Mm-hmm. But so far this season, he has been worth every penny of that, um, you know, as a penalty killer, as a second line center, all of that stuff. And then some of their younger players have continued to develop and grow. You know, Claude Giroux for a long time was the Flyers' best forward. He is not their best forward anymore. Sean Couturier is. Yeah. Um, and and you could, my argument has always been that you would always be able to tell when the Flyers turned a corner as a franchise when Giroux and Voracek were no longer their best players. And that's the case now. Couturier is their best forward. I would put Hayes maybe second, you know. And, and Voracek had a terrific series against the Canadians. He's, he's been kind of reborn a little bit. He's always been a kind of guy who, you know, has these moments of offensive genius but doesn't like to play both ends of the ice. He's been doing more of that under Vigneault. Um, so to answer your question, it's been a little bit of both. It is where Drew and Voracek and those guys are at their career, at their stage of their career, but it's also a matter of, hey, there's this other group of guys, Travis Konechny, Sean Couturier, Kevin Hayes, who have kind of pushed them down, you know, in the four forward lines. The, the thing that impresses me specifically about the, that, that top two of Couturier and Hayes is, you know, those are two of the better 200-foot centers in the NHL. You know, you roll out the Flyers' top two lines, and regardless of whether the Islanders are going to be able to hem them in the defensive zone or they're going to play up ice, both guys are comfortable playing, you know, wherever needs be. You're 100% right. I mean, Couturier is a finalist for the Selkie Trophy. Um, he's, He's the favorite to win it, I think. Um, you know, and Hayes to me has been a revelation. I saw him a little bit in New York, um, but did not have an appreciation for his 200 foot game. Um, the, you know, the way he has played it. I mean, he has been absolutely terrific as a penalty killer for this, for this team. Um, and he's, you know, talented enough offensively that he can give you 20 to 30 goals in a season. Um, and that's really helped a lot. It just has stretched the entire lineup out, you know, with respect to Hayes too, he's, He's been one of these kind of intangible guys. Um, he has taken well to the city. Um, he's very good with the media. He's very good with the fans. Um, he's taken some pressure off of Drew in that regard because Drew's never been really a guy very comfortable in that role being outspoken, even as the captain. Um, so he's, he's loosened everything up in the locker room. Um, and you're right. Those two guys will have no issue going, you know, both ends of the ice. If the Islanders want to, you know, whatever way the Islanders want to play it, Hayes and Couturier can play that game. It's a matter of, you know, are the other forwards, you know, able to do it too. Yeah, and and one of the things that made the Islanders so successful against the Capitals, I mean, besides the fact that they got much better goaltending and, you know, their five-on-five play was so dominant, was the fact that it seemed like however the Capitals wanted to play, and I know the Islanders are trying to, you know, impose their own will, but, you know, when the, the Capitals tried to go physical, the Islanders out-physicaled them. When they tried to get, you know, you know, up and down the ice, the Islanders just got up and down the ice quicker than them. And, you know, w- which way are the Flyers going to want to play? How physical do you – I mean, these are not the Broad Street bullies anymore, but how, how physical do you think one of A.V.'s teams can be at this spot? 
I think they can be pretty physical. I think these teams are kind of mirror images of each other in that regard. Um, you know, the identity that the Flyers have now under Vigneault is that kind of disciplined, you know, close checking, puck possession kind of style. Um, but, and they can go either way. I mean, you know, if you look at the games they played against the Canadians, um, you know, for instance, their victory, I would say in game, if memory serves me correctly, in game four, um, you know, they, they, that was like watching a, a, a boa constrictor eat an antelope. I mean, the Canadians just got nothing all game. Um, they, they just, you know, the Flyers just shut them down completely. Uh, but then there were other games in that series, game five and to a degree game six, that were a little more up and down. What's been interesting about the Flyers um, is throughout that series in Montreal, the third periods were generally very good, with the exception of game two. Um, all the other games, they really shut the Canadians down for the most part in the third period. Um, and, and it's interesting to hear you describe the Islanders that way, that they can kind of play any style that you want. Um, and I'm sure you know this from having covered him with the Islanders and even before that, you know, his time with the Islanders. That's what Lou Lamorello looks for in a team. I can remember talking to him back in 2012 when the Devils went to the finals, kind of, for, you know, made that last ride with Parise and Brodeur and Kovalchuk. He said, you can't build a team that only plays one way. You can't because somebody else will figure that out and then you're done for in the playoffs. And the Islanders fit that bill. I think the Flyers fit that bill. Um, you know, and, and that to me is what makes this such a fascinating series. It's just like these two teams are almost identical. Um, you know, I have a hard time seeing it go. I would be very surprised if this series was, was shorter than six games. I think this is a six or seven game series without a doubt. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I wound up picking the Islanders in seven. And the only tipping point, really, and as I did the matchups, and this has never really happened to me, you know, at the end of the matchups you do, which team has the edge in this? And, you know, I go forwards, defensemen, uh, power play, goalies, uh, penalty kill, coaching. I think I had everything even except for the defense. And I, I just think the Islanders are just a tad deeper. They go one through six a little bit better. And AV seems to be, you know, with, with Niskanen uh, and, and Provorov, he just seems to be a little top heavier amongst his defensemen. Would you agree? Or how, how has AV been deploying his six? Well, I would say this. I think the Islanders have an edge in experience defensively. Um, but what's interesting about the Flyers defensively is, yeah, you have that top pair of, of Ivan Provorov and Matt Niskanen, and, and they're really good. They really complement each other very well. Um, but you've got some younger guys in, in the latter four who are, are really up-and-coming, really talented young players. Travis Sanheim, who's part of their second pair, um, is going to be a 1A to Provorov's 1 for a long time. He's really good. Um, Phil Myers, who had a very good series for the most part against the Canadians, undrafted kid, really good. Um, but, you know, there are going to be times where they're going to, you know, when, when, they're, when things are humming, man, they get the puck out of the flyer zone and they're moving, they're joining the play. You know, they can, they can turn a three-on-two break into a four-on-two break. The question is how many sorts of breaks like that are you going to get against the Islanders? Um, and I can understand why you'd say the Islanders have an edge in that regard. I think just because of veteran experience and, you know, up and down those six or seven. Um, but, you know, I mean, look at it this way, too. As recently as three years ago, four years ago, Shane Gostaspear was the Flyers' number one defenseman. And he's now their seventh defenseman. I mean, he didn't play every game in that series. He was pretty good uh, in game six, filling in for, you know, came into the lineup because Matt Niskanen had been suspended. Um, but he's, you know, 
on, on an ordinary night, he's not suiting up. So that, you know, the, the Flyers have enough depth, depth defensively. I think your point is well taken, though the Islanders may just have a little bit more. Yeah. As you look at the series, I mean, is there – give me the Flyers' X factor. You know, we've talked about the goaltending. We've talked about where they are, you know, amongst the forwards and on the back end. But if you had to pick something out, what's going to be the real X factor for the Flyers in this series? Their fourth line has been really good, really good. Nate Thompson, um, Derek Grant, um, you know, sometimes Nick Obey-Kubel, who's a younger player. Um, but, but they've been very, you know, those four lines, we, you talked about it. And some of that is a little bit of chicken and egg. You know, does, does Vigneault play the four lines um, the same amount of time because that's what he does? Or is it because each of those lines is earning the playing time? Well, the fourth line has been. Um, you know, Nate Thompson has been a real good face-off guy for them. Um, you know, again, very physical. Um, they scored a couple goals early in the round robin. Um, so that to me would be the X factor. Like the Islanders are good up and down, but you know, that fourth line has been really, really strong for the Flyers. And if they can make some things happen, takes a little bit of pressure off of guys like Giroux and Hayes and Konechny, who the the Flyers really have to get going. Um, he was their leading goal scorer during the season. He doesn't have a goal yet in the postseason. Um, you know, that to me would be the, where I would look for as an X factor. Uh, you know, I, I told you what my pick is. What, what do you foresee happening in the in this series? I took the Flyers in seven. Um, you know, for for similar reasons to the, why you took the Islanders in seven. Um, I, I mean, I think every game is going to be two to one, three to two. Barry Trotz talked the other day about uh, the three games that they played. These teams played during the regular season, all of which the Islanders won. Don't mean a whole lot now. I no. agree with him. You know, I mean, different setting, different circumstances, all of that. Um, I, you know, I think it's just going to come down to a one goal game in game seven. And I think the Flyers have a bit of an edge in goal from seeing what I've seen of Carter Hart. Um, you know, I, I think in a game seven, he's going to be good enough to, to get them by this team. But, you know, as, as you hinted earlier, when you took the, the Islanders in seven, man, it's a, I think it's a coin flip. I really do. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. And, and last one. And again, thank you so much for spending, uh, being so generous with your time, but the schedule, and, and I know they're in a bubble, and I know the NHL, you know, is trying to power through this so they can crown a Stanley Cup champion. Um, and you don't want to keep these players living in these sequestered bubbles forever. But you got, if this goes the full seven, you're going to have games two and three and games six and seven played back to back. And really, if you look at the schedule, you know, there's game one Monday, and then you go Wednesday, Thursday. And Thursday is a, a night game, and then you come back Saturday at noon. So, you know, as Chuck Fletcher said, it's really four games and five and a half days to start this series. Do you think that favors one team or the other, or both teams are just going to have to deal with it? I'm not sure it favors one team or another. I mean, you know, it's interesting. Our, our friend and colleague, Larry Brooks, in the New York Post, wrote a, wrote, I'm sure you saw it, wrote a piece the other day about um, – how much of a war of attrition the playoffs have become that the Stanley cup anymore doesn't necessarily crown the best team. It crowns the team that was able to survive (laughs) the gauntlet of playing this. And, and now you've got this situation, as you said, in this bubble where they're just cranking game after game after game. Um, I'm not sure that it favors one team or another. I just think it's going to be a matter of like, you know, which team has the more, has more healthy bodies, you know, available. Um, 
you know, you saw, again, you saw that in the first round between the Flyers and the Canadians. Matt Niskanen gets suspended for cross-checking Brendan Gallagher, and Gallagher's not able to play in game six, you know, because of a broken jaw. Um, and it hurts the Canadians. Losing him hurts the Canadians more than losing Niskanen hurts the Flyers. Um, I wonder if this series would turn, you know, in a similar situation in this round, just because, as you said, man, it's got to be tough on these guys. It really does. Are there any, I mean, with the Islanders, you know, Cal Clutterbuck missed game five against the Caps. Um, any injury concerns going into this series? Not right now, no. Um, you know, the, the Flyers are about as healthy as you can ask a team to be. Um, I think it's, you know, Vigneault is going to have some decisions to make about who he thinks matches up well um, against the Islanders on a particular night. As I mentioned, for instance, he benched James, scratched James Van Riemsdyk for games four and five, but then brought him back for game six. Um, Nicholas Obey Kubel had been a pretty good forward on their fourth line. He got scratched a couple of games and they brought up a, a kid named um, Connor. Oh God, I'm drawing a blank on his last name, but they, they substituted somebody else in for Obey Kubel. Um, and so, you know, that's been some of what Vigneault has done. Um, you know, some of the times with his gut, sometimes just to match up and, uh, yeah, I mean, but health wise, they're in good shape. Hey, Connor, Connor Bunneman, that's, that's who it Connor, is. Excuse all me. right, we got that one in. And Mike, I'm glad uh, you're in good health and everything's well with you. You too, my friend. Yeah, it's great talking to you and enjoy the series, my man. You too, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. So my, my deep appreciation to, to Mike Selsky for taking the time and, and, and giving his wonderful insight into the team. And, and also thanks again to Colin Stevenson and Neil Best for not only hopping on this podcast and hopping on the previous podcast, but just for being amazing teammates and uh, helping me uh, so much through the series uh, to, to, to bring as good a Islanders coverage as possible. And with that, um, you know, and now it's just me solo uh, to finish out the show. It's time for your questions with Andrew's answers. And once again, thank you all for, uh, for chiming in via Twitter on this. And I know it's, uh, you know, a, a long show. So I'm going to, I know there's a lot in the queue, so I'm going to try and do this as quickly and as coherently as possible. Uh, so I will now put on my, uh, uh, my, my quick voice, you know, uh, like an auctioneer or something. Probably not that. I'd be a terrible auctioneer. I, I would fumble over everything and, and, and the people selling thing would lose money left and right because, you know, I'd be talking cents instead of dollars and it would just be brutal. But anyway, I'm not an auctioneer. But anyway, Ben Cohen asks, can you speak to Nick Letty's performances playoffs both individually and alongside Andy Green and how is it sort of left... Boychuk in the dust. Will the Islanders look to bring Green back next year? Um, a lot to digest there. And, and I, I don't think it's Letty's performance. And, and and I don't want to say leaving Boychuk in the dust. I don't think that's fair to uh, Johnny. Uh, I, I, I will, as we've touched upon, Andy Green's performance has kept Johnny Boychuk from getting back into the lineup. Um, as far as whether the Islanders look to bring Green back next season... I I, I sort of uh, sort of still doubt it, um, and I know the relationship there between Andy Green and Lou Lamarillo dating back to the Devils, and, and Andy Green would be great to have on this team going forward next season, but I, I really think you're going to have to be cap conscious with the flat cap 
And, uh, you know, I, I really think you have to, at some point, open up a spot for Noah Dobson here. I think they want to open up a spot for Noah Dobson. Um, as, as to Nick Letty's performance, you heard me kind of list him as among the three with Devontae's and uh, Ryan Pulak is the three defensemen I'm really looking to to uh, kind of spark the power play here going forward. And I, I think Letty's been pretty good. Um, I, I like that pair with Green. I think they, they, they complement each other. Uh, again, you know, that's complement with an E, not an I. Uh, they complement each other pretty well on the ice. And, and they've been, been a, a pretty solid pair both up and down the ice. Uh, you know, Nick, Nick's played somewhat physically and he's played you know uh, there there have been no defensive blowouts uh on his end and and I think you know he he is contributing up the ice as well or looking to so uh I I'm okay with Nick Letty and as always he is a a very good skater so that's a that's a bonus as well uh Rich Pietras says um the question everyone needs answered, what did Brock Nelson say to Tom Wilson from the bench as game five ended and Tom was skating towards the first tee? And I, <laughs> I, I wish I even had a funny answer to you. Probably, you know, uh, maybe he said four. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't tell you what Brock Nelson said. And that's one of the things not being in the dressing rooms and, uh, you know, just being away from the teams. You sort of lose that connection uh, to the players there. You know, it's not like they can uh, wink and nod and, and joke around with you. Um, and that leads me into my next question from Tom Smith. Since you don't have locker room access and are confined to timed virtual player interviews, how has that affected your ability to write a story? You and uh, Arthur Staple from The Athletic seem to get the nod for the extra questions, but it's limited. Have you been able to text or call players and coaches? And no, other than the Zoom calls, there, there's really been no contact, no uh, extracurricular contact to this point. Um, you know, the, the Islanders and the NHL do recognize that Arthur and I are, are the two traveling beat reporters with this team, so they, they try and uh, you know, give us as much access as possible, but usually that's really only, you know, a couple of questions per session, and sometimes it's only one because there are other reporters on the Zoom call, both national and local. So as far as my ability to write a story, uh, as much as I love being at home on my couch watching my, you know, big TV, I, I want to be in the arenas. I want to see the guy, uh, the games live. I, I, I want to... I want to be in the dressing rooms to have that relationship with the with the athletes, and I, I understand you know that's that's a small want given what's going on in the world. So please don't take that as a complaint. I'm just saying it, it does help me to do my job much better uh, w- with better storytelling and, and, and a better when, when you have a better relationship with the players, and, and it's hard to maintain that via Zoom. Uh, Thomas Boyle says. Do you feel the winner of this series will win the Stanley Cup? And I did write a column in Sunday's newspaper that basically said, why not the Islanders? I can't tell you for sure that the winner of this series will win the Stanley Cup because I think there are a couple of two other good teams in the other side of the bracket in the East in Boston and Tampa Bay. 
but I, I I will say I do feel the winner of this series can win the Stanley Cup. That that I think I, I'm very certain about that. I I think you know if you get into the conference final, then yes, you were a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. Um, Sean Stalker says, "What's your projection for who gets the nod on the third fourth lines Monday night? Will Trot stick with Green as well? I I think Colin and Neil and I discussed that." And uh, we, we sort of feel like uh, he's not going to change a winning lineup. And uh, that would mean Ross Johnson. And I think for certain Andy Green is in as well. Um, Stu says, if this had been a normal year, you'd be on your way to Philly for at least two games. I'm sure the popcorn in your living room is top notch. I, I got to say, I make some pretty darn good popcorn. I've I've come up with a formula over the years. And, and, it, and I got, I think it's the air popper, my wife's popcorn air popper from her college days and I don't know how it's still working but it makes some beautiful beautiful Orville Redenbacher uh, kernels pop into some tasty popcorn and then you gotta get the right ratio of melted butter and salt and I'm pretty pleased with what 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 kind of popcorn I make but the point is uh, what place or food will you miss the most not being in Philly And, and you know, I know someone wants me to say Gino's or or, or some uh, Philly cheesesteak house, but the the place I miss the most, and I've been missing it now. I think uh, it closed in 2017, but in, in Philly's Little Italy, there was a, uh, a a place that made its own homemade bread, and 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 I think I actually discussed this on one of my earlier podcasts. They, they made a gabagool uh, sub that was out of this world, the Tony Soprano. Uh, a place called Sarcones, and uh, I was very, very sad uh, to see that place close. I, I think Sarcones may have made the best subs I've had, uh, other than a place in Syracuse. Uh, I don't know if this place is open either, called Kegs and Cases. Uh, you used to go there with five bucks and, and buy a sub so stuffed with meat you know, that it was like, you know, at least two meals, possibly three. So kegs and cases in Syracuse, but uh, Sarcones in Philly, I am missing big time. Uh, Matt says, uh, more or less for the cap shutting down OV was the key. Do the Flyers have a primary player to keep pinned? Uh, if not, will the system be effective against multiple threats? And uh, how much does Oscar Lindblom's uh, presence create that intangible? I, I'm, you know, and we didn't discuss that with uh, with Mike, and and now I'm kicking myself for doing that because that's a heck of a story. Uh, I I don't know whether Oscar, you know, is an option or not in this series. Um, but it would certainly, you know, be an emotional X factor, and I think Mike might have brought that up if it was a possibility. Um, the Flyers don't have an Ovi, but they do have some, you know, obviously you're going to look at uh, Jake Vorisak and, uh, you know, Sean Couturier, as Mike said, is a heck of an offensive player as well as a defensive player. And, you know, Kevin Hayes and, and James Van Riemsdyk can be very, very streaky. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's not like an Alex Ovechkin up and down that lineup. So, uh, I, I, I certainly think the Islanders' system is is very effective against teams that roll four lines like that. You know, the Islanders, as we said, can sort of play anyway. And I, I don't think the system, uh, I, I don't think there's an issue 
containing the Flyers' scores um, if they're playing effectively. Uh, Brian G says, will the key to this series be line matching by both coaches? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, you know, uh, AV and, and Barry don't always do that, you know, and, and I know both coaches going four lines deep and I know they trust all four lines in, in different situations. Uh, you know, the Flyers' fourth line is almost as effective right now as, as the Islanders' fourth line and as trustworthy defensively. And, you know, really, I think Barry, you know, can trust all four of his lines just as AV can trust all four of his lines defensively. So it will be interesting, but I, I don't necessarily think the line matching is going to be the key to this series. Melissa says, uh, who are my uh, top five players so far in the playoffs? And it always starts in net. Uh, so Semyon Varlamov is for sure one of the top five. Uh, and, and then I'm going with Adam Pellick, who's just played some brilliant, brilliant hockey uh, throughout the first Nine games of this postseason. I mean, the boost he gives the Islanders just being healthy uh, when he was not expected to be healthy. And again, who expects a COVID-19 pandemic? But Adam Pellick has just made some plays that have, you know, really dropped my jaw. And they're so subtle and and you really have to watch. But Varlamov, Adam Pellick. Obviously, Anthony Beauvillier for the way he's been playing. And uh, if you say Beauvillier, I think you got to say Josh Bailey, uh, who, who's been passing unbelievably and uh, just making these subtle, uh, that, that little stick handle between two capitals defenders. I think that's been, you know, Bailey is heck, having a heck of a playoff as well. I'll be honest with you. I think Matthew Barzell is having a pretty good playoff run here. Um, you know, I know everyone wants him to get two, three points a game. But uh, to me, Barzell has had some moments in these playoffs where he he really does look dominant. So uh, I'm going to go with Barzell to fill out my top five. Ian Katerina says, what's the main threat of the Flyers' offense that the Islanders need to be ready for? Kevin Hayes and James Van Riemsdyk are such streaky players that you cannot let them, uh, in terms of offensive production, get hot. So I I think, you know, I I am worried about Van Riemsdyk, even though, you know, A.V. has kind of sat him from time to time. And and I am worried about what Kevin Hayes can do if he really starts getting rolling. And then, uh, you know, Travis Konechny was uh, their their leading scorer during the regular season. And as Mike said, he hasn't really gotten going in the playoffs yet. I would watch out for that. Obviously, you know, Jacob Borchek is a, is a heck of a scorer. But I'm also, uh, you know, Ivan Provorov. Uh, you got to watch this guy. He's a really, really, really uh, productive defenseman. And, and he can hurt you offensively. Um, Michael Garini says, do you think Lane Lambert is a candidate for the Caps job? Do you think Johnny Boychuk gets into one of the three games and four nights? And do you think Brass goes back in for game one? Um, I would say Lane Lambert should be a candidate for the Caps job, but you heard, uh, the Caps GM, you know, was the one who wanted Todd Reardon so badly saying now that the Caps need an experienced coach. And, you know, duh, you had one, right? <laughs> but, hey, hey, it worked out for the Islanders. Um, 
I, I don't know if Lane Lambert goes back into that situation, but I, I do think Lane Lambert is a finalist around the league this offseason. It actually would surprise me if he doesn't get a job. Um, I just don't think it's going to be the Capitals' job. Uh, do I think Boychuk gets into one of the first three games in four nights? I, I do think Barry Trotz is going to be very, uh, you know, concerned and uh, attentive to fresh legs in the lineup. So I, I do see some in and out there that may have nothing to do with performance. So I'll I'll go with a yes on Boychuk. I'll go with a no on Brass for game one, as we discussed, I, I, I agree that I think Barry will keep that lineup uh, uh, steady. Um, Joseph Gimel, Gimelaro says, why is Gritty crushing the mascot game and Sparky is nowhere to be found? Well, I, I see Sparky uh, um, wearing a mask at the uh, UBS Arena uh, construction site. So I have seen Sparky. And Gritty, I mean, I, I don't want to say he's crushing the mascot game, but look, googly eyes are crazy, right, man? And uh, Gritty's got some crazy eyes, so uh, maybe start there. Maybe put some googly eyes on Sparky. Um, OMG Islander says, as a beat writer, do you find yourself rooting? And he put rooting in quotation marks for the team based on the relationships you've formed. How does it work in the playoffs? Root to keep working or hope the offseason starts sooner? I have admitted I, I grew up an Islanders fan, so I, I have a deep affection for this organization, and I'm not going to run from that. The thing about being a sports writer is you really do have to be objective, and, and my kids will tell you, you know, I, I'm not sitting there, you know, throwing my scorebook up in the air. I'm not actively rooting. Um, you're, you're correct. There are relationships that you form with guys in the organization and, and, you know, you do want to see them happy, but I, you know, I don't equate that with rooting for the team. Um, you know, it's funny when my girls were little, uh, me and my wife took him to a, uh, I think it was a minor league baseball game, went up to see the Hudson Valley Renegades. Maybe it was the Brooklyn Cyclones. I forget which one. Um, and I'm sitting there watching the game and, I, one of my daughters turned to me, must have been about the third, fourth inning, and, and turned to me and said, Dad, are you enjoying yourself? And the kids were concerned because I just sat there kind of stonily, just, you know, no emotions, not much movement. I just watched the game. And, and my point is, and I, I told the girls, no, no, I'm having a great time. I love this. But the the, the point is that, like, as... As a sports writer, you really do get trained that you, you don't root during the games. And I, I'm telling you, I, I don't root one way or the other. I root for myself to make deadlines, which get tighter and tighter, um, you know, which is why you root against overtime if there's anything you root for. <laughs> I don't like surprises in the third period. I, I just I want to have my story ready to go with the buzzer, and it's kind of tough when 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 craziness is happening happening and as far as rooting to keep working or hope the off season starts sooner look to me uh, you know you hear the players say it 
But to me, there is nothing like the NHL playoffs. And, and the longer I can be associated with the NHL playoffs, uh, the, the happier I am. I, I love working NHL playoff games. Everything about it, I, love, I just love it. The, the, the tension, you know, the drama, and just the, the, the level of play. Because, let's face it, the level of play in the playoffs is, is something you don't usually see in the regular season. So, you know, I, I like working as many NHL playoff games as I can. Johnny Mo says, will Sean Couturier be used mostly against the Barzell line or the Nelson and Bo line? And I think it will be mixing and matching. I, I think you'll see Sean out against both lines. And just like I think you'll see Kevin Hayes out against both lines. Um, John said, says, the fan base has been clamoring for Sorokin, um, but Varlamov has been a rock since the restart. Do you think this changes management's view in the short term for Sorokin and and no I don't I think you know the blueprint for next season is Ilya Sorokin working with Semyon Varlamov in in a tandem just like Semyon worked with Thomas Grice this year so no I I don't think anything has changed um Jesse Mann says looking back now with some perspective do you think John Tavares's lack of leadership overall hurt the team more than his skills helped it are those lack of skills hurting Toronto yeah, look, this is kind of, you know, wading into the, the miasma here. But I, I think that's a mischaracterization, a lack of leadership. If anything, I think the organization looked to Johnny too much and relied on his leadership too much. You know, he was asked, and this is, you know, I'm talking about obviously before Lou and Barry are coming in, but, you know, uh, under Garth and Dougie Wade, I, I think there was too much deference uh, to John and, and his leadership and, and the kind of respect he had in that dressing room. And I, I think, and that was nothing that Johnny sought out. That, that's how they reacted to him. And I think Johnny would have been very happy, you know, if, if there were other leaders that were looked upon in the same way in the room. Uh, I, I don't think Johnny ever wanted to make it all about Johnny, but that doesn't mean he wasn't a good leader. And it's an easy thing to say those skills are hurting Toronto because, yeah, he was named the captain. And, you know, maybe there were some other candidates up in Toronto who were a little more deserving uh, than Johnny. And, you know, the captain gets the, you know, the bulk of the, the criticism. But I, I don't think that's what the problem in Toronto is. I, I really don't. And again, I'm not around that team 100% of the time. I can't tell you what the issue is there. Um, but it just seems like a snake-bitten organization right now. Uh, Cordup says, the Islanders haven't lost to Elaine Vigneault in a regular season game since opening night in October 2016. Does that matter in the series? I don't think it does. Uh, uh, names, places, everything's changed um, over time. Uh, you know, Elaine Vigneault has changed teams. Uh, and when the Islanders did play the Flyers, at least two of those games were, were before uh, A.V. really got his team purring. So uh, the past does not matter in this series. Botiful, uh, obviously uh, Anthony Beauvillier fan, do the Islanders have enough speed to keep up with Philly? And, uh, you know, with Barzell and, uh, and Anthony Beauvillier and J.G. Peugeot is not a not speedy person. And, and to be honest, you know, Casey Sezikis gets up and down the ice pretty good too. And, and they have, you know, speed among their defensemen, particularly uh, 
uh, Nick Letty. So, yeah, I, I think they have the speed to keep up with Philly. Uh, Finn O'Connor, and we'll end here. Do you think the Islanders can defend the 2-1-2 that the Flyers bring in spades? And to give you the final answer, I'll bring back Mike Selsky, who uh, responded <laughs> via Twitter to Finn O'Connor I think Barry Trotz is a damn good coach, and uh, I agree with Mike there. I don't think, you know, whatever system the Flyers are bringing is is going to befuddle Barry Trotz and the Islanders. And, and with that, I will just say uh, we'll, we'll see what happens on the ice, and that that's the best place to uh, get all your answers. But uh, uh, until then, uh, I appreciate you listening to Island Ice again. Um, you know, we can be found wherever podcasts can be found, uh, SoundCloud, Google, Spotify. Uh, but most of all, uh, we'd like you to go to the Newsday website, newsday.com backslash sports to find everything. Uh, go to the Islanders page. You can find everything that Neil and Colin and I are writing about the Islanders and uh, all the podcast episodes. Until the next time we talk, happy hockey, everybody.